0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Arrington Capital Pirate Podcast, where we take the chance to talk to our founders who are at the forefront of disrupting disrupting Web3. Uh, today, we have Remy Carpenito from Espresso, which is a no-code automation tool. I'm a big fan of Remy. He's been doing some really fantastic things. Uh, coming from a marketing background myself. I'm really excited to talk about how he's enabling and empowering organizations to differentiate their brands. There is a ton of data out there. Um, it's unwieldy. So according to IDC, which is a market intelligence company, they did a report for Seagate and the global data sphere uh, by 2018 reached 18 zetabytes. It's estimated that by the end of 2025, at some point, uh, about 175 or 180 zettabytes uh, will be out there. That is 175 trillion, one gigabyte USB sticks. So that is a huge amount of data. Um, according to the World Economic Forum, about 10% of the global GDP could be stored on blockchains by 2025. And so you've got the birth of blockchains. You've got all this data. You've got the immutable and permissionless blockchains. It's only adding to this situation. It's also opening up the opportunity uh, for new things to come. And data can be a make or break for companies. I know I say that from a marketing perspective, but it extends beyond that function of the organization. And so um, I want to spend some time with Remy talking about what he's doing with Espresso and how all that data is being used for good, especially when it comes to Web3. Before we dive into those things, Remy, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and the journey that got you to tackling some of these problems?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Kelly. Um, yeah, been uh, can kind of start back my my first startup and, and get you up until this point. Um, been an entrepreneur now for for ten years, full time uh, operating, and uh, started my first company in college, and it was called Campus Tap. Originally set out to replace the student ID card with NFC chips and smartphones with some of the first Samsung Galaxy phones and pre-iPhone Apple Pay. Uh, With that being said, we were slightly ahead of our time. Uh, That led to ultimately a slight pivot, and we ended up building out a mentoring platform for higher ed. Um, That scaled out quite well. So we sold that mentoring solution into all the top universities across the United States, 70-plus schools, B2B SaaS play. Um, We had about a million users at the peak of the business. And uh, in 2017, we started exploring kind of going back to the root of the company um, and having a new product line going back to identity solutions. This time we dropped the hardware component uh, on the phones and we tried to do a, a Ethereum based identity solution for students. And uh, the MITs and Harvards of the world were, were very excited uh, at the time but all of our other clients. was this? This was 2017, 2018, uh, so early Ethereum, kind of the peak of the ICO days. But uh, in terms of, um, you know, other schools beyond the MITs and Harvards, uh, they, they weren't really understanding what we were doing. So uh, we, we knew that wasn't the product to pursue. Um, but coincidentally, we were approached in 2018 by a number of market leaders to acquire campus tab and we ended up pursuing that acquisition um and maintained full control of all of all of our web3 ip and that kind of became the backbone of espresso uh looking forward um so my co-founder and i and some of the product team stayed together uh, and we started kind of brainstorming and conceptualizing different ideas uh for for kind of crypto infrastructure a lot of twists and turns since then but one of the first things we did with espresso uh, as defi emerged out of the kind of the first beer cycle um was the ability to plug into AMMs. Um, so DeFi obviously was the lar- large catalyst of the last cycle and built out these kind of trackers and um, new pair and pool alerts on top of Uniswap, one of the first bots sitting on top of Uniswap, but we called it Unispotter. Um, published a simple blog post. We p- pushed out liquidity information into a Telegram bot. Did about 5,000 day traders sign up in the first 15 days. Um, I think those are some of the early windfalls of being early, you know, being early and first to market in some capacity.
0: Um, Not still around today, right?
1: Uh, you can build Unispot-type bots with Dispatch in like 30 seconds. So what's interesting with that, with that kind of product, it, it kind of validated our bigger thesis that people wanted access to data, um, but they didn't want to work for it, and they wanted it sent exactly where they were. <laughs> and so we ended up just building a whole product around that, and that's what Dispatch is today, kind of a no-code automation platform um, to make it as easy as possible to get the data into the channels you want. Um, and I'm happy to obviously unpack yeah, that a bit. Yeah, but, um,
0: and I want to unpack that because you've had some great use cases that come up recently, but let's step it back just a little tiny bit. Fresno, I think, is also doing a lot to empower Web3. You've sure, been around sure. for a little bit. Uh, you've seen the ebbs and flows of some of the recent cycles, new maturity, new inflection point that we're sort of at right here. There's a lot of Web3 native companies, but also... Mm-hmm. Companies that are leveraging Web three to do more and go further. If you step Mm -hmm. back and think about it from Web three, but also the importance of data and automation in any org, what is your view of what people need today? Like, what's the problem that exists right now?
1: Yeah, I think zooming out, it's really interesting. I think data, as you mentioned earlier, you know, the the amount of data can be overwhelming at times, and Um, I think a lot of early companies in in Web3 and beyond uh, have focused on just general data delivery. Um, And I think that's that's needed. That's essential. There's a kind of a, a baseline that has to happen. But as we think about application development and use cases and projects and teams kind of looking to access that data, it's less about the raw data. And it's more about moving kind of up the stack, up the technology stack to make that data accessible to anyone on the team that does, That ultimately means you do not need to be a developer. You do not need to interface with a raw API. You don't even need to know how to code anymore um, in order to get the data you need exactly when you need it. And that's our bigger thesis. And the reality of that is that that kind of trends into it, not a new category, but I think a category that's going to continue to be top of mind uh, with the proliferation of new technologies like AI um, is no code, no code automation. And the abil- ability to kind of get the data you want uh, by point and clicking. Um, and obviously there's you know deeper things you can do from a programmatic lens, uh, but from a lot of product teams and marketing teams, there's an even bigger opportunity to enable these folks to not need to inundate the engineering team with internal requests to get specific features or internal tools developed. And so that's one of the bigger talk tracks we're hearing is that there isn't enough bandwidth to kind of manage all of the internal requests that the product marketing and community teams have across web two and web three teams. And so no code automation tools enable this in a big way. And we saw this in web two with Zapier. I mean, Zapier is I think like an $8 billion company right now. And ultimately what they did is they just aggregated all the world's APIs and connected the dots between them. I think as we think about web three, it's actually even a bigger problem because you have all these protocols coming online literally daily. The pace of innovation is faster than anything anyone's ever seen. I'm sure you feel that as well. And none of these protocols actually communicate with each other, especially as you start kind of crossing blockchains and crossing layers, like layer twos, et cetera, um, you need to have this common thread behind the scenes. And um, that's something we see ourselves kind of playing a big role in. And again, not just through APIs, but through interfaces that anyone can use. And I think that's going to be a pretty massive unlock across a lot of these teams we work with, which span gaming, brand loyalty, you know, next generation digital items, uh, all the way into more Web3 native companies like DeFi protocols and NFT lending. And so they all have unique problems, but their core kind of pain points all cycle around bandwidth, you know, feature development, prioritization, and larger ability to kind of get these types of uh, alerts, notifications, and kind of data flows into the users in in a unique way.
0: If you were to broadly talk about, time, you, you mentioned bandwidth, if you were to broadly talk about time savings from an organizational, you know, yep. best practices, operations, what does something like this executed well mean from a time savings perspective?
1: So we've talked to teams that have taken a couple different routes when it comes to, you know, us before, before we meet them. And uh, the typical route is them building some sort of custom tooling. So, you know, having the dev team build this kind of black box in the corner of their tech stack to index data and, and kind of build an alerting automation system to um, make some other feature work. Uh, the reality of that is as they extend their protocol into other blockchains or they want to add new functionality or data sets to it, they need, then need to go revisit that black box and retool it. And that's not their core product. Their core products over here, you know, up up in the stack, which is more user face, user uh, f- forward facing functionality, and so that could save you know hundreds of hours of development bandwidth in, re- in reality, and like scoping and pr- you know de- definition and all that stuff. Um, on the flip side, we see some t- teams use more uh, kind of tooling that everyone uses, like block explorers, manually searching through logs and looking for specific events or function activity across a smart contract. And so in that case, that could be repetitive tasks uh, where they may not be as labor intensive as a 100-hour development project, uh, but they are just consistent 20, 30-minute jumping out of your workflow, searching through a set of events on Block Explorers, and then having to feed that into some other system. So in aggregate, it's a lot of time. In aggregate, it's a lot of time. And it's also the what we enable is this kind of set it and a forget it mentality. So once it is set up, our automations are typing data wherever you need it all the time. It's kind of like an extra set of eyes and an extra set of hands uh, for you and your team. And, and that's what we're seeing as we start publishing a lot of these case studies. The feedback is extremely consistent um, that we're, you know, it's it's this kind of peace of mind we're bringing to the team as, as well as this additional bandwidth. So that's uh, been super validating over the last few months.
0: Do you think, I mean, if you think about it, every Web3 company is a data company to some degree, right? Just because of the nature yep. of what we're doing. On. Fine. Do you think that most Web3 companies understand the significance? You know, we've reached a point where everyone understands the significance of auditing smart contracts. There's been some standards and there's security best practices and all this that have been going on for several years now. But what do you think about where do you think we're at in the maturity of? data best practices, if you were to call it that, or understanding the significance and importance of not just the basics of data, but what else it can be used for um, in, in terms of expanding and scaling and doing more with less, right?
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think what's interesting, there's been like two camps in Web3 and crypto since the early days, like decentralize everything. And kind of using blockchain for the value it really drives and kind of authenticity and verification and uh, being able to look back to the blockchain and know that this is a valid piece of data. And we kind of fall more in the the latter camp, I think, decentralizing the world, you know, things will continue to evolve and become more decentralized, I believe. But in reality, when we start thinking about a lot of the applications and experiences that our our, uh, clients are building towards it's not about pure decentralization. Um, it's about speed and kind of creating user experiences that people want to use. Like, uh, we've, I think, the, as an industry, have come to the realization of that over the last cycle, is where we started kind of onboarding consumers, but the UX wasn't quite there. And I think that's been fixed in many different ways over this last bear market with a number of us onboarding uh, companies getting funded and scaling and a lot of the kind of um, tools needed to make these experiences feel more kind of accustomed to what people expect in the consumer world. And with that, it's it's about the data, it's about speed, kind of low latency, uh, and kind of availability without needing to kind of break the normal UX patterns that we expect uh, from a consumer lens. And so for us, I think talking to our teams that we're working with is that is top of mind. Um, like they want to make sure that there is like a real-time feedback loop. So if someone takes an action, if they need to know something is happening, for example, we work with this game and they run tournaments uh, powered through some of the data via dispatch. And so, you know, if they're doing a unique kind of tournament that has exclusive number of tokens being dropped, as the game is played, less and less tokens are available. So it kind of creates this uh, driver to get people back into the game um that real time nature actually gives you a competitive edge and as we start to see more chains leveraging on chain data uh some chain some games like dark forest we don't work with them right now but it, like you have to see you know search through uh, on chain uh, smart contracts and event logs to actually play the game uh you know being able to get real time data like that or being able to set up your own custom bots to seek that per- particular data becomes even more pertinent so it kind of goes on on various ends of the spectrum, but I think um, teams are starting to realize uh, the data is super important. They're realizing they're not going to build. It. I think the other big point that I wanted to make is early crypto people wanted to build everything
0: internally. Wait, I was going to say uh, this is like the, yeah. we talked a little bit about time savings from implementation, but building a system like this it, it's it's large. It's got a lot of.
1: Yeah. Again, it's like some people build their own custom portion of it, and they think it checks the box. But in reality, as they continue to grow, they need to continue to build this other piece of technology internally. And so now that they can offset it with dispatch, it really it saves them a ton of time. But it's also, I think, again, the maturation of the industry, realizing that not every protocol is going to be everything to all people. And they're, you're not going to need to build every piece of infrastructure within your protocol. There are genuinely good third-party tools and pieces of data infrastructure out there that can help you accelerate product development and go to market. And that is something that it's taken some time for the industry. Like we felt that pain just even in the last cycle where, you know, talking to protocols and there this massive vision, which is great. But in reality, it's like, where's your core value? Like what's what's the thing that makes you unique and, and go focus on that? And that's happening more and more now. Uh, as people kind of start reeling in the scope and start focusing on wh- what they who they want to be and what they want to offer to the world.
0: Let's I want to talk and unpack a little bit of the use cases that you have seen early days. But uh, who else is really working on the data problems from your perspective? And again, I think your perspective is unique because you're seeing some of the Web 2 stuff. You're seeing some of the Web 3 stuff um, and both have very significant needs when it comes to data and automation and how AI and machine learning all plays into that. Who else is working on the big data problems in crypto to make things actually happen for companies that need to be able to do more, that it's not the core competence?
1: The the, the players we all know and, and many of us use are the alchemies and quick nodes and infurers of the world and the other kind of genuine like um, blockchain node providers kind of give you that baseline data. Um, and they started in that direction. We originally thought we were gonna be more of like an alchemy or quick node, and that's in what we found pretty quickly, that space got pretty commoditized. Like there's 30 different node providers out there. Um, so you can switch in and out of any node based on cost or based on latency or they all kind of do similar things. So um, that's, that's been interesting to see. But I think in reality, a lot of the data tooling, again, as I mentioned earlier, is going to move up the stack. So it's less about interfacing with the raw node um, or, you know, where that data comes from. They're all ultimately coming from blockchain nodes. So, it's a similar kind of talk track there, but they set the foundation uh, in, a, in a very good way and an impactful way for a lot of these kind of tools and projects to stand up. Um, because in the early days, running your own infrastructure on that level is extremely time-consuming and, and expensive. And even just syncing an Ethereum node can take up to months. Um, it's it's crazy. Uh, so uh, t- taking that out of the equation is super important. And now it's thinking about, okay, now that the data baseline is there, Uh, How do we start building experiences that can kind of push things forward to another level? And I think that's where it's
0: like the layer two or layer three of like that.
1: (laughs) That's exactly as we move up the stack, it's getting closer to the. So as we think like node providers, kind of this middleware layer, and then we think about the application layer, we sit much closer to the application layer than, say, a node provider. Yeah. And um, and that's that's kind of that's ultimately where we're at.
0: Yeah, that's a good framing for it. Uh, you yeah. just announced a really cool partnership with N state N state is a shoe company, sneaker company, right? And effectively they are doing, uh, some community engagement, customer engagement where they're putting the physical good within NFT. Um, tell us a little bit about N state and the, the program that they're running. And then let's talk about how you're sort of managing the data.
1: Yeah, for sure. N state's a, a great team. I've, I've known Bennett since the early days of crypto. He's a founder over there, and um, I remember during the days of he was uh, he, his first company uh, he built got acquired by um, GoDaddy. It was actually a, a patent based system on the blockchain. Um, and uh, during you know we were conceptualizing some of his ideas uh, for Endstate on the golf course during COVID. Uh, and it was it, I was super excited, and as the last cycle started emerging, started to feel like it was go time. And I think you know initially they started just as sneakers, but I think it's more of like next gen digital apparel ultimately, or kind of physical and digital apparel. Mm-hmm. And they've worked with the likes of Devonte Smith, a uh, you know a rookie, uh, kind of led the Eagles last year in 2022 um, to uh, to an amazing run. Um, and then uh, also working with like pop stars, and worked more recently with the Spider Man game, and they did a unique apparel drop, a tote bag in the middle of New York City the day Spider Man Two went live on the PlayStation Five, and What's interesting is, I, and what I really like about Endstate is their approach to thinking about leveraging NFTs and kind of the digital piece of collectibles in a really unique way. Um, in it, some instances, that that,
0: do is everything that they do tied to a physical good?
1: Yes. Okay. At this point, yes. So uh, they, they and they started in both directions. So in the first drops, they started with the NFT first. So they would kind of use that as like the voucher to claim your good, um, and so for the initial drops you know people would buy the nft and then they would be able to go have a claim period uh where you could actually put in your sizing you you know claim the specific colorway you got uh and then now you know uh, ultimately go into a manufacturing process uh for the Spider-Man game and and what we helped them with which is pretty interesting is that they had the tote bags given out to individuals uh in real time like live on the street in New York uh at these you know daily bugle stands for Spider-Man fans um, and uh, and within the tote bag was a little NFC chip, and it was that was a kind of end state powered chip, and that would kind of set a trigger of events that that would ultimately occur. The big one for us was this claim of this claim function that would actually uh, sp- sp- spur a, con- a contract, a smart contract event, um, and then that would also kind of feed into their inventory system that these items were physically claimed. Um, so it's actually a connecting the dots between the physical and digital world and that's kind of that authenticity piece that the blockchain brings in a really unique way where it's like hey this this bag was actually claimed on this date by this person at this address and you can see the, uh, and the all that date
0: and it's being held here and the- yeah exactly
1: yeah. exactly so that kind of claim function process before dispatch they were manually monitoring block explorers i was talking to the head of engineering at mad at n state and he was telling me he's like man we need dispatch to do this for us and i was like well what specifically are you looking for he's like There's these specific functions that we need to monitor um and i'm sitting on the like this is the lead dev over there and he's like i'm sitting on the block explorer looking for them you know crawling logs can you just push this out to our channels and to our database so we can so i don't need to do this like i've inundated with you know other drops that we're starting to work on and so um, that was one of you know with the new smart contract we we released we did in late q3 early q4 that was one of the core parts of you know pieces of functionality to enable people to monitor smart contract events and functions in under thirty seconds. You can add any smart contract, um, existing or new or unverified, um, and then pick the events and functions you want and create real time bots. In their instance, they're using a Discord bot to push into their internal team channel so they can mo- monitor real time like the mint or drop that's being uh, happening at that given point in time, and they're also. Um, Looking to kind of dig deeper with like webhooks to push this data into their actual inventory system. So connecting the dots between you know native Web3 blockchain data into their Web2 systems, and we anticipate that being a continuous thing as we continue to work with more teams, kind of connecting the dots between these you know Web3 systems and Web2 systems. And the reality is, you know, what Nstate's not a crypto infrastructure company. They don't want to build this custom tooling to kind of connect these two disparate systems, and that's where I think that is a common talk track. We've talked to 200 teams now, and that's people don't want to build this kind of translation layer. And that's something we can really help with.
0: Yeah, translation layer is interesting, especially as you start seeing more and more people understand the impact that some Web3 element could have. And you can see, I mean, this is a really good example, too, of inventory management inventory control and not being wasteful i mean the fashion industry is getting dragged through right now for like throwing away all their stuff right? yep um yep. and then but also just supply chain management and uh yeah that looks like and who's buying it and where and now are they tracking or are you tracking for them we can track
1: all the transfer activity even post mint um which is which is pretty interesting so they can kind of see the uh, movement across their uh holders and and their various nfts in, in real time as well
0: yeah. And that's where you're, you're posting the, tra- the post-sale activity. You can do a lot with that. Data exactly. In terms of how you can go out. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, yep. You've got a couple others. Uh, I think there's one on betting or gaming.
1: We've been talking to literally hundreds of teams over the last quarter as we started ramping up outreach. And um, one of the early ones we connected to uh, once we activated uh, Coinbase's new blockchain base um, was this uh, company called Zatoras. Uh They're building a decentralized sports book uh, for the NFL and um, the uh, Premier League uh, as well as the UFC and many more leagues to come. But uh, they're, they're somewhat senior actual crypto Web3 team. This is their second or, um, or third startup, I believe. Okay. And um, but they're still pretty early in the protocol development process. And ultimately what that means is it's, prioritizing what you're spending your development cycles on is mission critical. And uh, this is something we hear all the time. It's like, are we going to build our own thing or can we use a third party to help get us out the door faster? And uh, it's more trending towards the latter. And for them, they wanted to start adding kind of these new smart contracts for these different leagues, somewhat kind of recurring and rapidly. So being able to monitor that activity and understand what's happening, you know, in real time across their uh, protocol is super important. So they've set up, I think, like 10 plus automations using dispatch sitting on top of all their different smart contracts to monitor kind of full, you know, stop all of their betting activity uh, across their protocol. I think it's a really interesting use case. Obviously, sports betting in just general uh, Web2 has been massive and, and, you know, starting to be, uh, you know, a regulated space and getting a lot of approval across many more states. Uh, over the last several years and and watching that kind of proliferate has been amazing so seeing a team kind of focusing on the decentralized version of that now on on a somewhat global scale is is really exciting um working you know with the base team and understanding more of their kind of strategy and kind of positioning in the web3 space has also been really interesting um so a lot of opportunity there they've been a great team to work with
0: okay and then dispatch just to clarify dispatch is the core espresso Product right now right that's one of the yes
1: so espresso is the company and dispatch is our core no code automation platform um that's been up
0: we've talked about we've talked about uh physical goods retail supply chain we've talked a little bit about gaming and betting and monitoring some of those things i think you're also working working with a couple of DeFi projects i think i think that gets a little interesting right because there are so many smart contracts We've got this model for auditing smart contracts. There's a process where you can kind of check the box and understand that that smart contract is complete. It's ready. It's there. It's safe. Um, but then there's a, people are forgetting, like you said, we're, that's still a, the layer one of data. But beyond that, you've got all this other data to look at that's going in and around and through smart contracts. So how are you thinking about Dispatch, the Espresso product, from like a, a DeFi
1: perspective? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think DeFi and and even like NFT lending and some like NFT fi and even social fi and some of these other kind of newer concepts are really interesting and will continue to be a a big part of this next cycle. Um, And as we've been talking to these teams, yeah, it is it is interesting. I mean, when we look at their docs and you know, I go into a call and I typically aggregate some of their smart contracts and show them what they can do on the call and the and demo the product. They have dozens of smart contracts per protocol. And so as you think about that, you know they don't have 100 people on their team uh, to keep an eye on what's going on. And so there's hypothetically hundreds of di- different smart contract events or functions that can be called at any point in time based on whatever their protocol is doing. Um, so for like DeFi lending or NFT lending, um, being able to look at loans and lenders and, and matching them up has been a big thing uh, that we've been talking to a lot of projects about and being able to kind of relay new loans that are up uh, or that people are seeking uh, financing for, to be able to match that with people that are interested in particular particular categories is really interesting. So, uh, being able to say, okay, they're lending crypto punk, they want to only be notified of other um, people that were looking to kind of lend against the crypto punk. Um, so there's there's some kind of nuance there, and in, in that in this pr- particular use case, like for the NFT lending, they're looking to help with their BD process. And so they wanna and right now they actually send out their team manually to to ping uh, the lenders to say, "Hey, there's a couple loans that may be of interest to you um, where we can automate that entire flow just because we can sit on top of the contract we can say, "Hey, cryptopunk was just put up for a, a loan. Um, we know these ten people over here like to lend against them. Uh, let's notify them." And so building out tools like that is is really interesting. and you know again, I think as we just continue to uncover more conversations in Web3, there's some really interesting new use cases that just continue to emerge like literally every day when we're on the phone. Yeah. And they're all within the realm and scope of dispatch, uh, but it's just the different way these teams need to use the data on chain. And I think when you start thinking about these DeFi protocols and you know NFT kind of uh, five protocols, since there is so much data, there are so many use cases. And um, the other piece that we see on the DeFi front talking to a lot of founders, is that they want another set of eyes on their smart contracts, more from a security lens. Yeah. So being able to see admin change activity, role revoked activity, things that if they fire, it is red flag, alt hands on deck, what is happening, or did we do it, you know, or was that intentional? Um, so being able to just have a monitor like dispatch set up on top of that through a, through a very different, you know, somewhat simple lens in terms of our functionality, still also creates a kind of peace of mind for the team. Um, So that's been very interesting as well.
0: Do you see yourself as a security company or that's sort of secondary?
1: Uh, It's not a core kind of driver of the business, but again, like given the flexibility of the tool we built, um, we do enable security type of alerting and monitoring. Uh, Another thing, you know, one of the first things we built with Dispatch before we even got to smart contracts was the ability to monitor wallets at scale. And so we have a lot of teams kind of dropping in their hot wallets um, to just to have a you know direct DM go out to a Telegram channel anytime there's movement across a hot wallet. Again, just as another set of eyes. Um, and so, you know, beyond smart contracts, and that's not necessarily security, but it's just keeping a pulse on what's going on across the team, especially so many teams have so much access uh, in terms of movement of crypto or paying gas fees. Or maybe they need to know, hey, if this is below 0.5 ETH, we need to top up. Uh, to keep things, the system flowing. So um, a lot of different kind of nuanced use cases that pop up. But uh, I think the cool thing that we're seeing is that as we work with a team, there's other members of the team that can use it in a different capacity. So it's not just for the head of product or um, the head of marketing or community. It kind of spans across the team in different ways. And I think that's going to be a big focus of us is uncovering those type of use cases and talking about them and sharing them with the world of how different folks in your team can kind of benefit from the technology.
0: When you look at all these use cases and all these opportunities, and well, we'll get to roadmaps and sort of what comes next for but sure. how did you how did you build this? Did you build it in a way that you can accommodate all of these growing use cases that you see from a data and organizational efficiency perspective?
1: Yeah. I think there's two lenses that I look through as like an operator in terms of like how you focus up either you know the product in terms of serving particular verticals, and then also talking about it through a marketing and messaging and positioning standpoint. And from a technology lens, my co-founder and I, AJ, we, as I mentioned, we've been working together forever. We've always wanted to build a system, especially as we thought about Web3, that is somewhat horizontal, uh, that can scale horizontally across verticals because we don't know what's next. No one really does. Like. Last wave, NFT JPEGs went crazy, like who knew? Um, this wave, it may be social applications, it could be gaming, it could be anything. Um, but we wanted to build a system that whatever that is, we're ready. And so what does that mean for us literally? Well, we can, as I mentioned earlier, we can take in any smart contract instantly. Um, so whether that's a does new does protocol like a account- ch-
0: Does it matter what chain it's built on? Does it matter?
1: Yeah, so there's a, yeah. So I guess to talk about the chains real quick, you know we're we're agnostic we support any chain that is uh brought to us at through multiple t- kind of touch points and we'll prioritize that in our backlog and get it integrated we can launch EVM chains somewhat instantaneously uh non EVM chains a little bit more work but 100% within the scope of our product so we're we're agnostic i think that matters less and less over time you know the analogy i always say is like no one really cares which database it's built on from a consumer lens so you know we'll we'll make sure we we keep the data flowing wherever it needs to go um, from a smart contract standpoint, as new standards get released, uh, like account abstraction, we have new uh, NFT, you know, standards being proposed. All of that can be ingested through Dispatch. Um, there's no, it, we actually can take in any ABI, even if it's unverified. You can upload custom ABI into the system, and we'll parse all the data, and you can use the point and click interface to get what you need. So it, it's it's very agnostic on that front, and I, that's the piece that I think allows us to be really flexible from a product standpoint. So as we continue to look forward from, you know, serving different verticals, we're in a very strong position to do so from a marketing and messaging standpoint, we need to be more focused. We're not a team of a hundred yet. Um, so being able to really focus on kind of finding the niche and the pain points within specific verticals is hyper mission critical right now. So, so far we've focused on brands and, and the kind of digital apparel space. We focused on gaming, um, and then uh, recently, we've had this huge inbound influx from DeFi and kind of NFTFi. Uh, since we've onboarded Arbitrum and Optimism as well, and so you know that op- that is a there's a lot of companies in those verticals, and so that's where we've been focusing on a lot of our initial efforts. But as we've been publishing some of our case studies and started ramping up on the kind of content marketing, we're seeing other inbound inquiries come in uh, somewhat organically. So recently, we've we just got off uh, with the largest, you know, Web3 bank, crypto bank in the US, that's looking to use this as a large scale monitor for all kind of smart contract activity for for their clients. So that's, I mean, talk about scale, you know, they bank all the top, you know, investment shops, so uh, large, large scale stuff. Uh, And that's a really interesting use case. And I think, as we think about, you know, other verticals coming in, especially, I mean, with the ETF finally being approved, more and more like banking sector fund managers et cetera that this type of data over time, as you know potentially more um, uh, more um, various tokens et cetera get approved um, in the traditional markets, these type of tools could also open up so forward looking like there could be a lot more that could be done in some of these large existing industries, but for now we're focused over here, and we'll see where you know the demand takes us
0: how technical are the people that you're selling to now versus how technical do you be do you think they'll be in sort of a future state a couple of years down the road
1: uh it's it's kind of a gamut uh, right now i mean we we work with like the head of engineering at end state who is building their systems um but we also um in the same uh, concept we also work with some of their marketing team to kind of pump it into their discord community as well um what we're finding is we work, meet with a lot of founders, depending on the team size, and they'll either push us to head of product, head of community, head of marketing, um, or head of operations if they have that role. And so um, more often than not, though, it's not what's interesting as we go into these calls, most of the teams think, oh, I, I, you know, I didn't loop in my lead developer. Um, we'll, we'll have to do a follow up call. I walk them through the product They go, oh, wow, I could I could do this myself. I 100% don't need to bring them in. Amazing. One, they're inundated. They don't have any time. So like, I don't want to bring them in. Now I don't have to. And so after we hop off those calls, we're starting to see people set up their own patches and automations instantly, like less than a day after those calls in some instances. And so that's been obviously super validating, but kind of this assumption that we have that we need to enable the non-technical folks to be able to, do what they need to do, whether it's internal or external communication. And um, I think the one thing in Web3 that I haven't really said yet is that almost I feel like every tool being built is for a developer. And there are so many dev tools out there. And so being able to kind of start thinking about it a bit more holistically and building tools for non-developers, while they can still use the product and, and seriously benefit from it, it's saying, hey, that's not our core audience today. Um, but there's other groups that can leverage this is is really huge. So um, I think that's that's a huge huge piece of what we're doing. It's kind of going after the non devs traditionally uh, within these companies, and I think that's going to allow us to scale up quite a bit.
0: You've you've kind of answered where I wanted to go here at the end to sort of wrap it up in terms of what comes next for Espresso. It can obviously get huge. Data's huge, as we started out talking about sort of the monstrosity numbers from a data perspective globally. What role is, does Espresso have in onboarding, you know, all a new generation to Web3?
1: Yeah, no, I, I think it's super interesting. I think the, the first part that we I know we can do is kind of build awareness of the, this tool and this, these types of tools to traditional Web2 and Web3 teams. Uh, Web3 teams immediately see the value. Um, they realize the bandwidth it can save them and they, they latch on relatively quickly. The Web2 teams need a little bit more education, but as they realize what they need to do to, a, or you know, in what they need to build in order to kind of make their use cases work, hypothetically we could abstract away the need to build any Web3 tools at all for the Web2 teams. Because if they had to deploy a smart contract the second that's out there and associated to their brand or to their project or whatever they're using it for, that data can now flow from Dispatch into any of their systems. They could output to a webhook and integrate into their traditional database. They get output to a webhook and integrate it into their, you know, user facing dashboard in their core app that's been around for a decade. They don't need to think about all the nuances of Web3 and the translation and all the different data sets and, you know, how are you going to get smart contract data bytecode out into a, you know, human readable form. We kind of handle most of that for them. For us, the biggest opportunity I see is like kind of defining this automation, no code category in Web3. I think this is going to be one of the most important things in this cycle to help teams accelerate from zero to one. Um, And I also think on the Web 2, as more Web 2 companies move in uh, to be able to help them get what they need out of Web 3 as quickly as possible without needing to hire a 10 person engineering team to accomplish their goals. Um, So that's that's kind of two areas we see a lot of opportunity in.
0: It's amazing. Uh, Remy, where can people go to find out more about Espresso and Dispatch?
1: Yeah. Uh, espresso. Uh, E-S-P-R-E-Z-Z-O dot I-O. Uh, and then we're also on Twitter at Esprezzo. Uh, and uh, yeah, we're, we're posting updates pretty regularly. Uh, we are coming out of uh, beta state pretty soon, but if you want to get in there uh, and get early access, you can sign up uh, today and, and uh, drop in your company or project name. Um, we'll either reach out or, or approve you if it's a good fit for now. And, um super excited we've we've kind of been hitting a pretty significant inflection point over the last couple of months and uh it palpable momentum moving into this uh, 2024 new year
0: fantastic remy you're well positioned for what's to come here as as the cycle spins up and crypto continues to grow and grow thank you for joining us here
1: awesome appreciate it kelly thank you